Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Cowboys, Saints, they're playing tonight. Or at least what's left of both of those teams are playing tonight. And it is a must-win game for both of them. I've got no dog in the fight. I've got no reason to hype that. I'm just telling you. It's a must-win game for both of those teams. Of course, it's a must-win game for the Saints. They're 5-6. and six. They've lost four in a row. They just got hammered by the Bills. I know their schedule. I know they've got upcoming games against the Jets, the Panthers, the Falcons. But if the Saints are going to do anything at all this season, they have to win tonight. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Pretty obvious. Yes, Dallas, despite being 7-4, and four, they are favored tonight. They are on the road. They are in first in the division. They are two games up in the win column on Washington. I get all that, but don't get it twisted. They also have to win tonight. That's a must-win game for Dallas. If they are who they've led you to believe that they are, or who they want to believe they are, they have to win that game. Hell, they were the talk of the NFL in the first half of the season. They were 5-1 and one going into their bye. Their only loss was by two on the road against the defending Super Bowl champs, and that was in Dak Prescott's first game back. We were all hyping them, and with good reason. It was a hell of a start to the season. However, it's been just plain hell since then because they've lost two straight. They've lost three of their last four, and their only win in November was against the Falcons. And you don't want to act like Jerry Jones and read too much into that win because that's exactly what that old guy did. Remember, it was after that win that J.J. was so hyped, so drunk on that game, that he was asked the last time he had seen a Cowboys team play that well, and his response was, and I quote, I can't remember. Like, just dude having one of his geriatric moments. You don't remember the last time a Cowboys team was that dominant. As dominant as they were against the Falcons a few weeks back. Come on, Pops. Really, Jarrah? You don't remember. That Halloween win over the Falcons was better and more dominant than anything you saw back in the day with the triplets. Beating the Falcons was better than stacking Super Bowl trophies. I mean, this dude. And the crap that comes flying out of this dude's pie hole. Good news for the Cowboys. Good news is they're getting healthy. They're getting their guys back. Well, their players, anyway, not their coaches. Take the big fella, Mike McCarthy. He swabbed positive, and so did five other members of his staff. The Cowboys are missing a sixer of coaches due to COVID. Half a dozen, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six. Six. Now, I know two of the guys are strength and conditioning coaches. And that tonight's game is not going to be decided by who can get the most reps up on the bench at 225. However, a Dallas team that has struggled struggled on the offensive line and in the run game probably does not want to be missing two offensive line coaches. In fact, to say that they have struggled on the ground the last couple of games would be a gross understatement. 
They've had one of the worst rushing offenses in the NFL over the past three games. Ezekiel Elliott has been a shell of himself. Tony Pollard has not been much better. And with all coach monkey butt. Monkey butt. Missing in action. Dan Quinn gets to call the shots tonight. Which might not be a bad thing, by the way. Not only not a bad thing, it might be an upgrade. Things have become so desperate. The Cowboys are literally pulling in former Giants head coach Ben McAdoo for some help tonight. That's right. The Mac is back. And personally, I am hyped. Now, I wouldn't be hyped if I were a Cowboys player or a coach or a fan or an owner. But I'm not any of those things. I don't give a damn. I'm hyped. It's just great for me to see B-Mac back in the fold. I mean, how rich is that? Dallas, in desperate straits, with a chunk of their staff missing, needs a Hail Mary in the worst way. So who are you going to call? Who are you going to bring in? My man Bill Cower? Former Cowboys coach and legend Bill Parcells? Nope. No, 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 no. This is a must-win game. We don't have our head coach. We're going all in, all out, and taking the biggest swing imaginable. Big stakes. Man, big freaking stakes. Get me Benjamin Mack. What, Dave Campo wouldn't return Jarrah's calls? And how far has Jason Garrett fallen? Then not only does Jarrah lob a call to the enemy, a former Giants coach, but he calls Ben McAdoo and not the clapper. If I'm the clapper, man, I have never felt worse about myself than I do right now. I'm just telling you the bottom line. They better handle their business tonight in New Orleans. Because one, that's what good teams do. They see other teams struggling, struggling. on a knee They wrap up on their throat, and they choke them out. That's what good teams do. It doesn't matter to me that they could lose this game and still win that division. Because just winning that division was not the goal, especially when they were 5-1 and and running around acting like they were going to win the Super Bowl and, in fact, had a pretty good claim. So the question is, who are you? Which team are you? The team that was 5-1 and one and tearing it up or the team that's now 7-4 and four that looks like it's going to back into an NFC Eastern title? Impossible to say, right? Just don't tell me that it's not a must-win game for the Cowboys because it is. You win this game, you look good doing it, then we can talk about whether or not you're a legitimate contender. However... You lose this game, and especially with the latest injury reports to the Saints, which I'll get into later on. You lose this game, though, and you're Dallas. Then the Cowboys will be lower than a crippled cricket's ass. And a circumcised mosquito. Circumcising the mosquito. And they'll be all lathering up in the monkey butt. Monkey butt. Like, now is not the time for the big fella to come up with some new cornball way to motivate his team now is not the time for the big fella to be spreading out the monkey butt or smashing watermelons or anything else i'll tell you what the time is now is the time for the big fella to isolate in that barn lay out hand the keys to quinn stay the hell out of the way if they want to win oh and make sure that dak 
lines up under center and not underneath the guard. And that Big Mac shows up wearing that oversized clown suit that he was rocking at his first presser on the sidelines. Not exactly Tom Landry back in the day in his tailored fitted suits, right? They went to Ben McAdoo. Clapper's got to be like, are you kidding me, Jarrah? Dave Campo's got to be like, are you kidding me? Who you got? That line's moving, by the way. How about them monkey butts? Thank you, Alvy. It's always so tricky. What to do with the line? Do you wait? Do you wait? Do you wait? Or do you try and lock it in before something comes back? James Kelly, without giving it away, I know he's been going round and round. Damn, Alvy, you're good, dude. <laughs> you're good. I, I don't even know how you have that at the ready. James Kelly, I know for a fact. I don't know where he is and where that thing's going to stop, but I know for a fact he's been going round and round because that number has been moving. He's like, rats. All right, so I'm not going to have that until the top of our number three, but we're going to play that game tonight. We definitely will. Arr! So are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake or eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper. What's your beef? Yogi Roth. Yogi, this has been a wild week in college football. One of the wildest weeks ever. So I've got to ask you, how great is ball and how crazy is ball right now, Yogi? <laughs> my brother, happy holidays. Ball is great. I'm on my way to the Pac-12 champ game after this call in Vegas. And many teams have taken, I think, your slogan, the reinvention project, right, for your podcast. Nice. And uh, they've applied it to their football program. As hectic and unexpected of a week as I could recall in 20-plus years being around college football. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, what a wild, wild time. So you've had a few days to kind of process it. Usually, Yogi, it's all about fit. So what do you make of the fit of Lincoln Riley at USC? It's brilliant. It's perfect. And they're going to thrive. Uh, I think when you look at the context of what USC is today and college football is today, Lincoln Riley is going to crush this thing kind of like he said uh at his press conference when he got named the head coach was like it's not a bad matter of if it's just when like it's gonna happen here let's just look at a couple things one um usc we know what the brand is uh, i think naysayers or people outside of the footprint or people that don't live maybe in southern california looked at this job and said, i don't know if it's that good of a job as maybe it once was but if you're in it and you're connected to it you knew the fertile recruiting ground you knew the commitment for example, when Clay Helton was the head coach a couple of years ago, prior to Mike Bone being the AD, their staff was in the high 20s. It's in the low 50s now, right? So the commitment, the resources. Now add in NIL, Los Angeles, the brand building, the storytelling, the offensive firepower and wizardry, which has been Lincoln Riley. And what are high school prospects looking at? They're looking at what just happened. I'm with the best guys in the country every summer, man. They don't know what happened five years ago. 
they, they know Reggie Bush, they know Matt Liner, but they don't know necessarily what teams have done in past years. They know about the playoffs, and they know about the draft. And those are the two things they really concern themselves with. Lincoln Riley's going to crush this thing, man, and we've already felt his presence in recruiting. Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. They need some defensive linemen. Like they got to be able to win in the trenches. But, man, they crushed it and couldn't have gotten, in my eyes, a better guy. Right? I'd take Lincoln Riley over Sean McVay because he's coaching college. He's got recruiting connections. So if you look at some of the hot young names, uh, at 38 years old, Lincoln Riley's going to do his thing at SC for, for a little while in my eyes. Yo, you Roth is joining us, breaking it down really well. You know, you mentioned that there are things that have to happen. It can't happen overnight. So what's a realistic target for USC Yogi next year? Can you turn this thing around quickly enough, like within a year and a season, or is it going to take some time to rebuild it? I can remember the day that Chris Peterson got hired. I flew up to Seattle and did like the sit down interview with him as, as usually happens. And I said, how long does it take to instill a culture? And, and this is a guy who would have gone into the College Football Hall of Fame prior to going to UW and, and is a lock to do it now. And he said it takes 18 months. And, and I believe that. I think for USC, they're always going to be overhyped. They were dramatically picked to win the Pac-12 South this year by the media, for whatever that is worth. They may be picked to win it again next year because of all the juice that Lincoln's going to have and who knows what the roster turnover will look like with the recruiting and, of course, with the transfer portal and immediate eligibility being a reality right now. But I still think, uh, yes, they might, they'll compete for the Pac-12 South, for sure. Um, Utah will be the favorite next year, in my opinion, if Kyle Whittingham, assuming he comes back uh, for another season as well as some of their key players. But I think two years, three years, when they build up their front, because they need help on the defensive front, man. They, they really do. They, they're not big enough. They're not um, – you know, they're just not developed enough. There's not a first-round draft pick. Leonard Williams isn't in that facility right now, per se, or Cedric Ellis or some of the greats or Brian Cushing, uh, Clay Matthews. Those guys aren't there right now. Those types of players aren't there. So I think he needs a couple of years. But I think in three years, it's realistic for USC to be in what, God, we pray will be an expanded playoff even before then, uh, but definitely competing for Pac-12 championships probably next year, uh, realistically being a favorite within two years in my eyes because the Ducks aren't going anywhere and Utah isn't going anywhere, and Chip Kelly just won eight games, and, and they routed the Trojans. So it's not like they're in a weak league, right? This isn't the ACC right now, no offense to my beloved Pitt Panthers, but top to bottom, this league, I think, is, is extremely competitive, especially at the top now with the teams that I just mentioned. Yogi Roth joining us. I was going to ask you about that. So, like, when you consider who's already in that conference and some of the coaches who are already in that conference, what does the arrival of Riley mean for the Pac-12 overall? Well, I think you asked me that today. Uh, versus asking me that tomorrow night, it's going to be a little bit different of an answer. Right? Oregon, if they win tomorrow, it's going to be three straight conference championships. And they're going to get another top 10 recruiting class. They're going to kick out another top 10 draft pick. And they're going to do the same thing next year. And they're built, in my eyes, to take a run at the playoff next year and the national championship next year. Uh, they're still in the conversation if things happen and to get into the playoff this year. I just got off uh, a meeting presenting to the college football playoff committee along with uh, our commissioner and Merton Hanks and our team at the Pac-12. So they're square in the thing in, in the race right now. But but overall, Oregon, if they can win, they can throw it out and say, hey, nice hire. But we've been there and done that the last couple years. I think Utah, you can't argue with the consistency, right? Three South championships in the last four years for Kyle Whittingham. Uh, he's as consistent of a coach as there is in the country. He's a top five coach in college football and the most tenured guy in our league. I mean, Chip Kelly, we've been around him both a bunch. He flipped this thing. And if Dorian Thompson-Robinson comes back, and we'll see, 
right? How about if Jane Daniels comes back at ASU? We'll see. So I, I don't think it's ASC because of their brand and because of Lincoln Riley is all of a sudden going to flip it, but it definitely changes the recruiting landscape immediately and definitely forces teams to probably throw down a little bit more on their narrative to remind guys of what their record is, what they've done. And I'm sure they've been doing that over the course of recruiting as it heats up as we're two weeks away from signing day now. Hey, by the way, Chip did flip this thing, and I love that he did. I also love, Yogi, that you just referenced Merton Hanks, man. I love Merton Hanks. How's my dude doing? <laughs> dude, he's awesome. I was just texting with him before this call. Um, it's so fun to have him on. I, I grew up a Niners fan. So I, I, like, know the whole team. So when I first met him, I had to make sure that I didn't, like, just start asking him about, you know, different games back in the day when I would watch him play. Uh, what I love about Merton is that he has played, right, and he brings a unique competitive perspective to football in the Pac-12. And you felt his presence. And I think now, um, you know, we, we had a really unique decade or so with Larry Scott. He did some really cool things in our conference. Uh, but over towards the end of it, the narrative around our league, as we all know, um, got a little bit out of whack. And I think Merton coming on now, our new commissioner being here, you add in Lincoln Riley, you add in Kalen DeBoer, you, you add in what Oregon is doing, what Utah has done. I think it's a nice turning of the page. You referenced Chip and how he slipped it. Uh, I, I think the brand of Pac-12 football, we'll see it on full stage in Vegas tomorrow night. It's going to be an awesome environment. It's changed. And as we all know, it's cyclical in, in all of college football. And I think the Pac-12, we took our lumps. But I think this conference is rolling, especially in the era, which is NIL, transfer portal, et cetera, in college football. I think it's dramatically beneficial to our conference. And, and Merton's a huge part of that. Yeah, he is. You know he is. Yogi Roth joining us. All right, so Saturday night, Oregon, Utah. Kyle Whittingham and company thrashed Oregon a couple of weeks back. What are your early thoughts, Yogi, on the matchup this time? Well, it's not going to be like that. I'll tell you that. Look, it was 14 nothing with two minutes and two seconds left in the second quarter. And then it got out of whack in that last two minutes and change. It, you look at the first drive of the third quarter, Oregon came out and a nice drive, Anthony Brown, and they're moving the ball and they score. And, you know, all of a sudden it's 28-7 and it, they have a small chance, but they had a chance. And I don't think either team is 30-plus points better than the other. I think this is going to be the best Pac-12 title game I've seen since the Pac-12 went to this format. And I'll tell you why. Both coaches, personalities, as you know, you've talked to them both, man. They're physical. They're about truth-telling. And when their team gets punched in the mouth, as Oregon did, or as Utah did against Oregon State on October 23rd, the coaches told them about it. And both of their teams have responded. Go back and watch the Oregon State game against what I think was the best rushing attack consistently all season long in our conference. They held them to under 90 yards, right? They stifled a run game. You saw Kayvon Thibodeau beat one-on-ones, beat double teams. You saw... Uh, Mace Funa, you saw a guy, Brandon Dorless. you'll hear his name a ton tomorrow night, Noah Sewell, uh, he's going to be a top 10 draft pick next year at linebacker for the Oregon Ducks. You saw him rise up and meet that moment. On the flip side, you saw Utah do what they've done, really, since Cam Rogers named the quarterback, which is score close to 40 points, run the ball and set up the play-action pass, and their O-line has been dominant with Tavion Thomas as their lead back. So this game's going to be great in the trenches, man. I mean, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so hard fought. I've talked to players on both teams this week. Their mentalities are right. So this will come down to the second half and which quarterback can make three legit spot throws. Not miraculous catches, but can you hit a guy when he's moving, when he's running? Can you find a tight end if you're Cam Rising? They got three of them 
They're all elite NFL players. I think it's the best tight end group in the country. If you're Anthony Brown, can you find one of your receivers? Can you find Travis Dye out of the backfield in the RPO game? Those are the things, I think, that will shift this game late, and it's going to be fun because we've got, I think, the best story in the country in Utah if they win. They've lost two teammates to death by gunshot in a nine-month span. They started off one and two. If they are to win this game and go to the Rose Bowl, it might be the best storyline of a team I've seen in my entire career. And if the Ducks are to win, they put themselves square in position. I think a two-loss champion beats a two-loss champion if it's Baylor. I don't think it's uh, – I think it's a fun discussion, but I think everything from what the CFP has to process tips the way of Oregon. I think if we see Cincinnati lose, they'll be out. I think if Cincinnati loses, Notre Dame will be out. They don't have a conference champion. They don't even have a head coach, and Gary Barta said – that they wouldn't, they were make decisions based on coaching changes. That's part of their metric here in the final week. So there's a ton at stake for this one, which is why I love it. Two premier teams who love the craft, a bunch of NFL players, guys, a bunch of awards from Devin Lloyd to Kayvon to Verone McKinley and on and on and on. So, yeah, man, I, you can tell in my voice. I'm juiced up to get to Vegas. I love it. That answers the question. How great is Ball? It's awesome. He's a Pac-12 football analyst. He's a filmmaker. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He is host of the It Factory, co-host and EP of All American Stories. And we got a big one coming up. Yogi, appreciate you so much, man. Great, great, great job. I love the energy. Have a great weekend. And I'll definitely be watching. You got it, man. Talk soon, bro. Much love. Much love. Be good. Yogi Roth. If you're like me, your weekend plans include kicking back, watching some live sports, and it really doesn't matter what sport you're watching. It's always fun to have a little bit of action. Personally, I have my Week 13 eye on the Sunday night matchup between San Francisco and Seattle. This is why I recommend downloading the WinBet app right away. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to everything exciting. Whether you're a recreational player or a serious handicapper, WinBet is your ticket to every exciting wager from straight bets to parlays, teasers, any exotic prop wager that you can come up with. And the app is so easy to use. And everybody knows that Win is one of the biggest and best brands in the gaming industry. So get off the sidelines, join in on the action. Download the WinBet app right now. Download it on Google Play or the Apple App Store and put yourself in the game with WinBet. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. You do have to be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, call 1 800 522 4700. Oh, hell yeah, it's Friday. That song means it's Friday. Ah, that's not what that song means. Yeah, I know. I can see where that'd be confusing. It's kind of a trigger. No, that's not what that means. Big Head Bets obviously is a Friday staple of the program. And that's when I bring in the flight deck, a.k.a. Big Head James Kelly. But because gambling, today is not Friday, Hood. Today's Thursday. Today's Friday. It's Thursday. Yesterday was Wednesday. Snap face. But snap, snap face. Because gambling is getting bigger and bigger every single day. I'm trying to spot this gigantic head in all parts of the show or in different parts of the show during the week as well. So you've got a critical matchup tonight between the Cowboys and the Saints. I figured this would be a good opportunity to get the head up in here to chop it up about this game and to give you clones something to get down on this evening. Head, what's cracking? Good to have you. 
Thanks, Jim. Um, just trying to see how I could slide maybe a Harvey Williams or a Harry Giles mention in here. Um, but no, everything's good, man. Well, it's trying to see how you could, you just did. Mm. And Harvey is another name that you need to keep out your mouth. Don't, don't do this, <laughs> head. Again, if you keep acting like them, you'll be one of them. Don't right, really quickly... If you're done with that. Uh -huh. I'm done. I'm done. Good. Yeah. Man, I'm done. Don't, don't read me your resume either, man. Dude, you're not good enough to talk back to me. <laughs> did you not hear the interview with Chris Holtman? Did, Holtman? You are not good enough to talk back to me. You're not literate enough to talk back to me. Don't talk to me, all right? Knock it off. I was hoping you were going to ask him about Harry Giles. I know you talked about No, Coach I wasn't going no, to. No, I wasn't okay. going to, and you weren't going to wait, were you, Head? All right, anyway, quick disclaimer off the top, and I don't have to say this, but I want to say this. Do not gamble what you can't afford to lose. It's a blast until you start playing with your rent money. Don't do that. Make sure the income is disposable. Also, it's not for everybody. I get this as well. As an example, Head, check this out. It's not even for one of the biggest gamblers I know, UFC President Dana White. Now, what do I mean by that? Dana is one of the biggest gamblers I know in the sense that I don't know too many people who made the kind of bet that Dana made on himself and then on the UFC when he had the Fatitas come in and commit more than $40 million. There were $40 million in the hole. This is all laid out in our podcast this week. Dana is a legendary blackjack player. He's, he's made millions of dollars at the blackjack table to the point where multiple casinos have blocked him from gambling. Why do I bring this up, Head? Because he said on the podcast that he hates betting sports. Listen to this. Okay. I don't really like to bet on sports. You know how people say it makes the game more interesting? I disagree, man. It's just, it, it, it makes me hate the game. You know, like all these crazy things happen and, and the game is, there's 30 seconds left of the game and it's definitely going under. And then all these crazy series of events happen and the game goes over. And all, that stuff happens every time I bet on sports. So I don't do it anymore. You don't like losing or is there the stress involved? I hate losing. Number one, I hate to lose. Number two, yeah, it's it's super stressful, and 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 it, you can't tell me that you go into Sunday with the NFL and there's teams that you know these guys suck, these guys are terrible. There's no way they're going to cover the spread, and they always do. They always manage the team that shouldn't win wins. The team that shouldn't cover covers. I mean, head. How, how, I mean, he nailed it. How no, nailed great! It. How yeah. great is that? What is your reaction? That was Dana White on our podcast yesterday, which is live right now. What's your reaction to hearing that? So he nailed that part without a doubt. But Dana's temperament is a little bit different, so it could be challenging for somebody like uh, Dana. You know, good gamblers and base are uh, embrace the baseball hitter approach and forget about the at bat the second they leave that batter's box. Dana kind of has a little Jose Offerman if you will, in him, and he'll take the bat and start attacking people. So his temperament's a little bit different, Jim, and that stuff does piss all of us off. But MMA could do it to you, too. I mean, you have plenty of times where we put action down on fighters for them to win three rounds in and five seconds left, they get knocked out. So that could be pretty challenging in itself as well. Uh, I just thought it was really interesting the way he laid out the NFL. Right. Like, you go in there, yeah. there are crap teams that you know can't cover, and yet they do every single every week. week. It's hard. Yep. It's hard. All right, so I thought that was interesting, and I just want to let the listeners know that, hey, look, it's hard. Keep it in mind. It is hard. With that in mind, Thursday night matchups generally are ass for all the obvious reasons, but non-ass for action. We love action. And this is a big game for both. 
Dallas and the Saints. Dallas has not played well of late, but they're finally getting healthy. The Saints have been in a free fall, but they're mathematically still alive. They'll take a shot with Taysom Hill tonight. I need to know from you two things. Number one, what has that line been doing? How much has it been moving around, and how are you playing it? So the spread started to move quickly uh, quickly this a.m. from the Cowboys being favored by four and a half, Jim, to now six, six and a half after the news of the Saints not having their all-world starting offensive tackles in Alvin Kamara playing. So when that dropped, it went up big time. And I'm actually going to take the home dog here in the Saints plus six and a half with both teams being out of whack right now. I actually like this play. The Saints have a very good defense. They are the best in the NFL against the run and allowing only 3.4 yards per attempt. They just need to eliminate the big passing plays, and they have a shot here. And an offense and why I'm betting this, I think they could run the football. I'm going to embrace the Dave Clawson approach here when he talked to you earlier this weekend with Taysom Hill at quarterback and a unique run-heavy approach. It's harder for the Cowboys to prepare for because they don't see types of offense like this often. I'm still going to I'm going to go with them. It's like the college and when you're playing the academy schools. It's just odd. Add that and the fact that the Cowboys run defense already is ass. Over the last 4 games the Cowboys run defense has allowed over 140 yards a game Jim on the ground. Before that, they were elim- uh, eliminating Limiting, limiting, that's a big word Uh-oh! right there. Teams, There's uh-oh. another one. <laughs> Teams do 88 point, or 88 yards uh, uh, <laughs> on the ground a game, and the opponents they have played during those games are horrible on the ground. Denver, Atlanta, Casey, and Vegas, not powerhouses at all. Also, against the spread numbers, the Saints are 6-0 and in their last six cool. games after scoring less than 15 points in their previous game. That's in play here. And the Cowboys... They are the second-best team in the NFL against the spread this season, but have lost three of their past four games there. Let's make that uh, trend continue. Saints, and take our plus the points at home. Six and a half I'm getting. All right, so let's be really candid and really honest. I don't think I heard one word you said that entire thing. I was too busy (laughs) listening to Alvin's drops. No, I I think you took the Saints plus six and a half at home. That's it. When the day started, before those injury reports dropped, were you leaning Cowboys? Be honest. Yeah, I was. I I didn't love it, but I was leaning Cowboys minus four and a half. And then when the injuries hit, I I understood the line was going to go that way. But I'm like, the Taysom Hill factor in the run game against the Cowboys run D, I'm like, there might be something there. Plus, the home crowd yeah but are you, are you expecting look I understand that the Swiss army knife is a different thing I like mm-hmm. Taysom Hill although he's polarizing but mm-hmm. when you talk about the fact that the Cowboy run defense is ass mm-hmm. and you got a running quarterback yeah but he's not going to carry it 30 times right and they don't have Camara. No, they don't, but they got Mark Ingram, Tony Jones, and the, and they'll focus heavy on Taysom. I bet you he probably carries it 10 to 15 times, something like that. I mean, he's going to have to because he can't throw the football, so that's got to be their approach. They just got to meet up and move over those dudes. Right, so we'll find out. Now, what about this? Not, I'm not in any way making light of COVID. It's not a joke at all, and I would never mock the big fella, Mike McCarthy, for getting it and missing tonight's game. I hope he's rallying. I hope he beats it back as quickly as possible. All of that said, his non-availability is a factor in determining how to play this game, or is it not? Let me just ask you point blank. Given this dude's misadventures with the clock and his time management, could they actually be better off without him tonight than with him? In other words, is the head coach the easiest guy to next man up instead of the toughest? Uh, Yeah. 
I mean, outside of Dave Campo, like you said in the open there, in Cowboy history, yeah, it's pretty easy, I would think, the next man up, Mike McCarthy. The only thing I actually wish, though, because I'm betting against him, is Big Mike wouldn't have fired that one guy who coached in San Francisco who blew ass in that press conference, that <laughs> Tim Jamsula. I wish he was actually coaching tonight because Dan Quinn's kind of good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, dude. They're bringing back Ben McAdoo. Maybe they will. <laughs> Maybe Tim or Jom or Jim or Anybody, Tom right? or whoever that guy was. Maybe he will That's come back. That's what I need right there, that blowing ass right there. That's what I okay, need. Okay, careful, <laughs> careful. Last thought then. What about Taysom? Just do you trust him in this role? Like when you bring him in as a change of pace guy and he can do a bunch of different things, that's something. That's dangerous. But do you trust this guy under center for every snap the entire game? Well, short to my short term, I don't mind him at quarterback because, like I said, he's so different. He's so unique. He could win in the short term. Last year he went 3-1 and one as a starter, but long term I don't because he can't throw the ball. So I do actually like him at the Swiss Army knife role there. He's not a great thrower, and over time, with more looks. And You're not a great adjust, talker. No. Horrible. Taysom Hill. Winthrop. Yep. <laughs> He's not Lamar Jackson. Let's just put it that way. He can't throw the ball like Lamar can, and his body is very much like Jalen Hurts, which I would say, yeah, he's built for more of a pounding, but he also entices contact as well, and over time, those guys are going to get worn. No, and and by the way, up. dude, he was in the protocol. He's already yeah. banged up. He's not Switch 100. Hurt. Well, maybe he is 100%. I don't know, but he's coming off injury himself. So, you mm-hmm. know, look, here's my question. He didn't beat out Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston, we know that. Yeah. Did he beat out Trevor Simeon, or did they go with Simeon because he was banged up? Like, if Sean Payton thought that Simeon gave them a better chance to win, what's that say about the Swiss Army knife himself? unless he was banged up I bet I mean it says Trevor Simeon could throw the football better than Taysom Hill and you're not going to win that way granted Hill's got his legs so I I don't know about the injury history there but I I think they would have started Trevor Simeon anyways and see how that went but yeah he can't beat those guys out so all right so how pissed are you that you have to run this back tomorrow and work two days in a row is that true yeah that's true yeah it's true get some rest man all right so one more time if they're joining us late who are you playing tonight? What is the number? And I know you'll put it up on Twitter. Saints plus six and a half at home. Let's go. Saints. 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 New Orleans Saints. All right, Saints. Head. Appreciate it. Well done, man. Good job. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you showing up a day before the day. The Big Head. Good job. Good effort, Big Head. Chris Holtman is the coach at Ohio State. Chris, good to have you back. How are you? Yeah, great to be with you, Jim. Hope you're doing well today. I'm doing great. Good to have you back. Thanks so much. So you had a huge win over number one Duke on Tuesday. Early in the second half, Chris, you were down 15. What kind of thoughts were you having in that moment, and what was your message to your team? You know, really, it was as simple as kind of win win the play in front of us. Um, You know, they're really good. You know, obviously, they're, they're number one in the country for a reason. They've got some older guys. Duke has some older guys, and they've got some you know, they've got obviously a lottery pick uh, in Paolo. So, you know, I, I felt like if we could get it within two possessions in the last, you know, four minutes at home, we'd have a chance. You know, it's a little bit different playing on the road. But we really did just focus in on kind of winning the possession in front of us. Our guys did that. They didn't get rattled, and uh, we ended up pulling it out. All right, so they did exactly that, and the big picture is, what's it say about this group that you guys did come back from down 15 in the second half on the number one team in the country, and then you closed that game out with a 12-0 run? How much did that show you about your team? I, I tell you, Jim, it's been crazy. We've had a wild open opening uh, seven games because – 
four of them have went down to the final possession, and you don't normally have that. Now, we played a hard schedule. Um, we played a, a number of NCAA tournament teams. But I think what, what that says to me and what I've learned about this group is we've got a pretty, we've got a pretty tough-minded group. And, um, you know, you've got to build that as the season goes on, um, especially playing in the Big Ten. But I think we have a pretty tough-minded group. Uh, we answered the bell. You know, again, it's different playing at home. Our, our, it was sold out, as you'd expect, playing the number one team in the country and playing Duke. Uh, our crowd certainly helped us. Chris Holman's joining us. Chris, I think what you just said is really, really important in the sense that Duke was the last in a run of three ranked teams in eight days. That's a really tough challenge early in the season. Something that I think a lot of head coaches would not want, especially given the grind that your conference is. So what do you think your team took away from that three-game stretch? And then what's the thinking and scheduling it like that? You know what? I've had <laughs> I've had some second thoughts on it because we're – we're down our, our second leading scorer who has who, who played uh, early but, but has had uh, some groin issues. So I really had some thought, hey, with a young backcourt, we have one of our uh, – a new backcourt, one of our guys is with the Indiana Pacers right now, left a year early. So, I, you know, hey, did I overschedule? But if I'm going to err, uh, Jim, I'm always going to try to err on playing really challenging non-conference games. You know, it might mean we drop a couple – and uh, I think hopefully that prepares us for what the Big Ten is and hopefully for postseason. You know, in our league, Tom Izzo's done that for years. He's done it for years. He's not afraid to play anybody, anywhere. Um, I think that, that toughens your team, and uh, I appreciate it, but I'm not – you know, I'll be honest with you, in private moments, I had some second thoughts. I appreciate that, too. Ohio State head basketball coach Chris Holman's my guest. Let me ask you about Coach K. Like, Mike Krzyzewski is retiring at the end of the season. When you look at this man's career and everything that he's accomplished, what sticks out to you the most about him? You know, I think the just the, the consistency and longevity of his success. I mean, he's won five national championships, 12 Final Fours. I think what what has made him legendary, and, and probably you know he'll go down as one of the best coaches in any sport, is his ability to relate to um, uh, kids at all different generations. You know, he's went from doing it one way early in his career uh, to adapting how he's recruiting and playing, to also transitioning to coaching pros on the Olympic team. You know, to be able to do that, um, you have to be, I think, really, really gifted to be able to relate and communicate the way he does. And uh, it was my first time coaching against him. It's unique. I've coached against a lot of guys and, you know, a lot of Hall of Famers. First time coaching against him. And uh, it was, you know, it was, it was an honor, honestly, to do it. That, that's really interesting, actually. We were talking to Chris Holtman. You know, when you and I spoke back in January, we talked about E.J. Liddell and his impact on the program. He had 14 points and 11 rebounds against Duke. How much has his game grown, even from when you and I spoke in January until today? It's, it's really grown. I tell you, the kids, he, he, what he's done is he, he went through the NBA process, which a lot of guys do. You know, he, he had a terrific sophomore year. Processing got, I think, feedback that was uh, important. Uh, but also, he understood kind of what I think he went into it understanding hey, I've got some things I got to get better with. He, he's player, you got to have good self awareness. And he does. He understands he had to continue to grow. 
He came back. He's been our most consistent worker. He's improved on his uh, conditioning, number one, his fitness level, and being able to play on the perimeter. The guy has almost 30 blocks through seven games, and um, he's really been able to come from out on the perimeter and uh, impact shots around the rim. He's a unique matchup because he's he's 6'7 with a 6'11 wingspan, can take you play inside, play outside. He's going to have a phenomenal career. Um, I really believe it's a really good long career in the NBA. He's just got to continue to keep getting better. All right, so Chris, you mentioned the feedback that he received about his NBA prospects. Speaking of feedback, last season, after you dropped a game to Illinois, your mother, Patty, sent you a text, which read, quote, Chris, I noticed that the boys in the Illinois game were shooting flat-footed, just using upper body, just take it for what it's worth. I just noticed the others engaged their legs, end quote. What an amazing text. What was your reaction when you received that text from your mother? A bit of an eye roll, to be honest with you, um, because she likes to send those texts uh, on the regular. Like somehow I've, I just decided not to watch the previous Illinois game and didn't, couldn't recognize that. My, my, myself, but you know, she's a mom and she, you know, but I thought that that became public. I kind of put that out on social media. I thought that'd be fun. I thought that might slow down some of the, some of the uh, texts on corrections we need to make. Uh, it hadn't slowed it down at all. As a matter of fact, I got one after the Duke game and, um, you know, she just, she, you know, she, she's really, she, she's, we grew up in Lexington, Kentucky. So she grew up watching uh, college basketball. So she loves it, and because she's watched it throughout her life, I think she feels like maybe she uh, she has some opinions she likes to share, and she doesn't mind sharing them. Or, or maybe she thinks that she knows more than you and knows better <laughs> than you, and, Coach, maybe she's right. Ask her. <laughs> I, I had a father. who He passed away, but he was the exact same way. I, I get this. I know what you're saying. Chris, let me ask you, if you don't mind, I want to ask you about Paul Patterson. He coached you at Taylor University. He passed away. For those who do not know him, what was he like as a person? Well, Jim, I really appreciate you asking about him. He was my college coach, and for those of us that have had, you know, mentors, and, and I'm sure you have one, um, it, you know, for, for me, he was, he was everything to the guys that play for him. It was, it was some of the hardest years of my life playing for him. Uh, there was nobody more demanding, um, but um, he, he's a guy that when I first became a Division One head coach, he would call me, he was still working at the time, he would call me two to three times a week just to check in on me. Hmm. And um, he did that well into my time uh, at Gardner-Webb and into Butler days and, and, what, and even in my first year before he uh, became ill with Alzheimer's, my first year here at Ohio State. So, uh, you know, it means a lot that uh, you would ask. I really appreciate it. It's just a reminder of how one person, you know, if he really is about other people, uh, how much they can impact lives. Really quickly then, as a follow, Chris, you, you've said that he would be brutally honest and he was uncompromising and he was not ever going to stand for arrogance. When you talk back to him one time, just one time, what was his response to you? Yeah, it was right in the middle of uh, – it was halftime. He, he ripped me. I made a – I think I turned it over right before um, – we were playing in California. I turned it over right before halftime. That was never a good thing to do when you play for him because uh, you, you knew walking into the locker room you were going to get it. And, you know, normally you had to take it right between the eyes. And, 
deal with it for that day for whatever reason. I wasn't trying to hear it. You know, you're a 19, 20-year-old kid. And, um, you know, I said, I, you know, I, I had a, honestly, I had a smart aleck response. And he immediately came back and said, hey, you're not good enough to talk back to me. And I didn't know how to respond, honestly. I just kind of shut up and said, okay, all right, I guess that, uh, that's going to be the end of this conversation. But he, you know, he, he had a way, he never swore, but he had a way of saying stuff that would kind of pierce you uh, in a really honest way. And at the end of the day, looking back on it, I appreciate it. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I appreciated it um, afterwards and appreciate it now for sure. Hey, listen, I'm not saying that you were right to do so, but when he says to you, you're not good enough to talk back to me, were you not the best player on the team? Were you not an all-conference <laughs> player when you said that? Yeah, I was an All-American, yeah. I was actually uh, – <laughs> we had a backcourt buddy who was better, but yeah, I was an All-American. But I didn't feel like giving him my resume at that point, Jim. I just <laughs> felt like at that point I needed to zip up. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> hey, by the way, Coach, not not only am I good enough to do it, I'm the best player you've ever had. Yeah, that might not have gone <laughs> – it, it might have felt good in the moment, but not so great. All right, so Chris, really quickly, you've got a few days off before you face Penn State. What is the focus for you and the players between now and Sunday? Another big game. Really turning the page. I think it's the biggest challenge uh, for for teams. You see it all across college basketball. Um, games come at you quickly. You don't have a week off like you do in football. Uh, you have to rest up, turn turn the page. Listen, my press conference got over um, at uh, 12.30 the night of the game. So you know how the players were still energized and feeling that yesterday. Um and again, we expected to play well, but I think we need to turn the page to a Penn State team uh, that we've that we've struggled with. That is uh, good, well coached. Uh, it's a conference game. It's our first conference game. It's on the road. Uh, we need to be ready and prepared for that. And a lot of that depends on the leadership of our group. That's coming up fast. Ohio State at Penn State that Sunday, seven thirty p.m. Eastern. Ohio State's five and two, coming off that big win. But you just heard it from the coach. You got to turn the page, Chris. Appreciate you very much. Love the energy. Love the conversation. And always good to have you on this talk show. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, it's always great being with you, Jim. All the best. And now a quick message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you don't need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Stephanie Epstein joins me. Stephanie, nice to have you back. How are you? Hey, fine, thanks. How are you? Good, good. So thank you for doing this. And the last time you were on, we were talking about all that, quote, stuff the pitchers were putting on baseballs. Today we could be talking about free agency. We could talk about Max Scherzer in New York, all sorts of things. But instead, there is a lockout. And we can get into this. But let me first ask you, as the deadline was approaching, did you have any hope that there would not be a lockout, that somehow we could avoid this? Or was it inevitable and guaranteed in your mind? I think it was inevitable. There there was no progress at all in the final hours. I mean, you probably saw they bargained for about an hour total the day before. There was just no particular sense that this was going to happen, which right. was a bummer. Yeah, it is. It is. Now, you've got an excellent piece up right now on SI.com about the lockout. And as you point out, teams have committed something in the neighborhood of $1.4 billion in free agency, more than $300 million more in extensions, and there have been numerous trades. I mean, it's been a really exciting November, and then it all just comes to an abrupt halt. Does it feel like the sports simply cannot get out of its own way? 
yeah, I think that's definitely the right way to describe it. It's, it's. I mean, the the only reason we had this kind of mass movement was because they had this deadline in mind. So they couldn't even, you know, they they couldn't even really operate in good faith without this standing over them, uh, hanging over them rather. And and yeah, it's just it's it's another thing. You know, these players are better than ever. They're more exciting than ever. The their their fans have more access to them than ever, and yet still, they just they can't they can't run with that. They just have to keep messing it up. All right, so it's it's true. All these things are true. Like the games, the games are intriguing in one sense. Like you've got guys doing things that have never been done before. We have Shohei Otani doing things that have never been done before. Yeah. But as you write, quote, this year's World Series and All-Star Games were the second lowest rated in history. Privately, executives and players alike call their sport, quote, unwatchable. All right, so that's something right there. That's really damning. On the inside, they admit it. It's unwatchable. So the natural question would be, how much of these negotiations are actually about making the sport more watchable? Well, and that's what I find so frustrating, is that almost none of them is the answer to that question. They, as of a couple hours before the deadline, nobody had even presented a comprehensive rules proposal. They're so busy arguing about the money that they have sort of forgotten that People are going to stop watching this game if it keeps taking four hours and everybody just strikes out all the time. Do you get the sense that the league, the people who matter, the owners, have a good understanding or even care what the fans want, or are they just focused on maximizing revenue for themselves? I think it's the latter. Uh, I think I think the players are a little more tuned into what fans want. I think they're a little more accessible. They have to hear about it on social media in a, in a way that owners do not. They have to. They have to talk to us every day, uh, so they're hearing. You know, even if they don't read anything, they hear from our questions what people are talking about. Whereas owners can go a full year without ever communicating with fans. And so I think you really start to see that issue at times like this when the owners just dig in their heels and sort of take their position to the to the cost of everybody else. You know what's really strange about this stuff? He's like, I want to get into it and the nuts and bolts and some of the things that they want to negotiate, but you just, I can hear fans just tuning out like they don't want to hear it. They really do not want to hear it. There's some actual yeah, issues. Right, exactly. Like, I, I want to ask you about these things, but I don't want to ask you about these things. But, like, just generally <laughs> speaking, like, is there more money? Isn't there more money for everybody if they can make the pie bigger instead of arguing about how to cut the existing one? Yes, there is. And in part because this is not a, uh, they don't have a, a, a hard salary cap, so they don't have to negotiate about which percentage of baseball-related revenue goes to our players, the way you see in the NBA, for example, um, which means that the owners don't have to necessarily show all of their books. But these guys have made a ton of money. I mean, perhaps you've noticed every new ballpark basically has a shopping mall around it now, and that land is all owned and developed by the owners of the teams. So between that, between TV rights, I mean, gate receipts are still high. I don't know if anybody's tried to buy a beer or a hot dog at a ballpark recently. They're still making a lot of money. Uh, and so it, it, it does start to look, I think, pretty distasteful and pretty they're, – they're, uh, I would not say anybody's looking very sympathetic right now as they complain about how many millions and billions of dollars they are owed. Well, so let me ask you this. Like, there's not a hard cap, as you point out, but what there is is a competitive balance tax. The, the owners would tell you that that so-called CBT is not a salary cap, but when you look at the punishments for going over the threshold, does it effectively work as a salary cap without being technically a salary cap? 
Yeah, it does. And that's the union's position. And I, I would agree with the union on this one, that it, it functions as a salary cap. And you, you can see it in that, for example, uh, the punishments get worse the more times you exceed it. And so no team, since they made these punishments worse, has blown by it in three straight years. And that means that's the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. None of these guys are willing to blow by it more than twice because they start losing, up to, they start getting taxed. Uh, like 50 cents on the dollar, which they don't want to pay. They start to lose draft picks, which they don't want. And so the penalties really do a good job of reining in spending, which, you know, of course, the owners are perfectly happy to do. But the the players, and I think a lot of team executives as well, are a little bit frustrated at how many teams become unwilling to shell out the extra dollars for a for free agents. Right. So what about the game itself? A couple of things really quickly before you go. One of the topics is the universal DH. Now, how likely is that? And then how would that impact the game? I think that one will happen. Uh, I think a lot of fans might be upset about it. And I, candidly, I like having one league do it. I like having the league separate, but everybody's sort of on board with this. Uh, home, more home. Nobody really wants to watch pitchers try to hit is what the owners believe. They feel like fans are more likely to tune in to watch a DH. The players like it because it's more more money, a DH will get more money than the uh, than the last guy on the bench, and that opens up the markets. So that's, I think that one is going to happen. That won't hold up a deal. Uh, something like a pitch clock, which I think is sorely needed. The, the league can implement something like that uh, or, uh, on its own if it gives them enough notice. The Manfred has said he would prefer to collectively bargain it, which he should. I mean, the players, I think, should have some say in the rules of the game. But, again, I, all of this stuff should be the first thing we talk about, not the last thing, you know? Right. Now, what about the suggestion of expanding the postseason from 10 teams to 14 teams? What do you think about that idea? I don't like that one because I think that if you, why would you spend to get to 95 wins when 85 will get you into the tournament? Uh, and I think, I think the union will probably eventually give in because that's more money for everybody. They're using it as a bargaining chip. But when you look at this sort of era of tanking when did, and non-competitive nature, that started around the time they added the second wild card because it doesn't really pay to get to 92 anymore. Hmm. And so you can, you can try to do it at 88. And so I think, I think, that's, I think the, the uh, unintended consequences of that one are going to be a lot greater than either side is giving you credit for. So, Stephanie, if the sport itself is unwatchable, and it's not you or me saying that necessarily, but even the people within the game. Yeah, if I it's, hear that word all the time. Right? So if it's unwatchable, how much damage could you see the lockout doing to a product and a sport that's already unwatchable? I think a ton. I think the owners, and let's be clear, I mean, both sides have some responsibility for the toxicity, but the owners are the ones who implemented a lockout. And I think the owners are really sort of taking for granted fans' interest in the sport. I don't think it's. I don't think people are tied to it in the way that maybe they are hoping. And I think that they better figure this out quickly, or else you're going to start to see people. There's a lot of other stuff to look at, you know. We, always, always. And then quickly, will they figure it out quickly? How long do you think it lasts? I think we'll be doing this for a couple of weeks, maybe months. I don't think they'll lose games, but right now there's no particular. There's no more urgency today than there is a month from now. So, given how. Uh, unable they seem to be able to work anything out I don't know why they would get it done today instead of a month from now good times she is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated Stephanie Epstein joining us Stephanie thank you so much really appreciate it thanks for having me sorry it was a bummer so does this sound familiar to you you've got one device and it allows you to catch your game live and then you have another one that allows you to stream your favorite programs and then you watch sports highlights from your phone and then you've got that neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff 
Probably that's the way you live your life. Let me tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream. I use it myself. What it does is it brings your live TV and your on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again, and the best part, there is no annual contract. Get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. A compatible device is required. Content varies by package. Let's go to Seattle. Ken in Seattle. What's going on, Ken? How are you? I'm awesome, Jim. How are you? Super. Great. Hey, I am so excited to have Adrian Peterson. Now we can hang his jersey next to Jerry Rice and Franco Harris. It's going to be amazing. That's pretty good. Nice job, Ken. Thank you very much. Franco Harris in Seattle is something else, man. I mean, Jerry Rice is one thing. But Franco Harris is something something different. Good night! 